The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 5, and we're going to be in verse 21. So tonight we are continuing our journey. We're going verse by verse through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Uh, This series is called Our Story Begins because we believe the Bible is a true and accurate account of how all things came to be. So because we believe that, we believe Genesis is teaching us where all of humanity came from, and it also reveals why the world we live in is the way it is. The Bible is primarily God's story, but because of his great love for us and his amazing patience with us, he's allowed us to be a part of his story. Genesis shows us that the diversity of humankind is a beautiful thing and shouldn't lead to the division that it often does. We all have the same origin. We all must come to the same source to discover our purpose. And one day we will all stand before the same God and creator of us all. So we're continuing. We're in Genesis 5. We took the first half of the chapter last week. And uh, this week we'll be in verses 21 through 32 together. So let's read, starting in Genesis 5, verse 21. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years and became the father of Lamech. Then Methuselah lived 782 years after he became the father of Lamech, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Lamech lived 182 years, and he became the father of a son. Now he called his name Noah, saying, This one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands, arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Then Lamech lived 595 years after he became the father of Noah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. Noah was 500 years old, and Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, before we get cracking here, we're going to go back to verse 21 and have a look at what's going on with Enoch. Uh, I just want to say real quickly, I addressed this a little bit last week, but I, I just don't want it to be a distraction. For some of you, you could sit here and be looking at those numbers. We're seeing guys in the, you know, what was it, Noah was 500 years old and then had kids. And some of you are like, I went to biology class. <laughs> that doesn't work. And I get it. And I'm with you. I understand what you're saying. The, the, the thing we need to consider, and, and I talked about this last week, I'm not going to belabor the point, but we are a lot closer in history at this point to the perfection of Eden, right? We are only a few generations out from that uh, in comparison to where we are today. And so that is, that is one very probable reason that gen- we, were, we were only a few generations down from genetic perfection. And, and why is it that it seems that uh, the human condition, sicknesses, uh, and all of that uh, we seem to be kind of degrading um, as a people. Well, it's, it's because uh, the way genetics works, there's, there's mistakes in the, in the way uh, our genes are copied. And, and you know, so two sets of genes come together, a mom and a dad, and, 
And those come in, and, and the, the, the combination of that, we, we have a child, right? And so there's mistakes in how those copies are made, and that's where we end up with abnormalities, difficulties, uh, and, and things of that like. And so that's, it's the same reason why God did not command against incest until the time of Moses and Leviticus, because those, the, the, the frequency of those genetic copies coming together to cause abnormalities and issues was much less. And so it is, that is one reason why it's not totally crazy for... Uh, the ages here to be literal, and uh, for people to be having kids when they were 500. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I feel like it's, I'm in my mid-30s, and it's hard to chase my kids sometimes, so I wouldn't want to try to do it at 500, but praise God, I'm sure he helped them and gave them the strength, so there, there's that. Uh, but, I mean, what about Enoch? I mean, let's go, let's, wow, we need to go back up here and, and talk about him. So Enoch, it says, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Okay? This is a statement that catches my attention. I don't know if it catches your attention, but I got questions, okay? Uh, what do those two things mean, right? We shouldn't just take for granted that we know. Okay, he walked with God, right? First of all, what does that mean? And then, he was not. <laughs> the Bible does reveal more about what Enoch walking with God looked like, which we're going to get into. But we're left to imagine what God taking him means. Uh, we don't get any more details. And so I don't know if you're like this or you have time to be like this, but some, my imagination starts to run. I'm thinking, okay, is it dinner time? Everyone's sitting there. You know, everyone bows their head to pray to eat. And, all, you know, prayer's done. Everyone looks up. Dad's gone, right? Like Enoch just pff, gone. David blamed on him, right? Like, is that, is that how it happened? Is it like one of those bad rapture movies from the early 90s? I don't know. Is that what it looked like? Or, or I mean, I don't know. God was happy with him. This wasn't a punishment. Did he send like a golden elevator like in Willy Wonka? You know, just comes down and he steps in and up he goes. I don't know. Like, for me, I, Elijah got a chariot of fire, right? So I'm just, I guess I'm hoping, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I'm hoping that uh, Enoch got some kind of really rad form of transportation, right? I mean, golden elevator, stretched donkey with diamond hooves. I don't know, giant eagle. I, I mean, I'm just, I'm hoping that's a question I can ask when I'm on the other side of eternity and I... Maybe they got tape they can reel back and play. Uh, but I, I hope he had a cool ride. Anyways, whatever it was, whatever happened, either nobody saw it, even though he was out by himself when it happened, or, or they chose not to describe it here for us, uh, or my hope is, is totally falsely placed and there was no rad vehicle and he was just all of a sudden gone. But somehow God took him, okay? Took him, didn't die. But why? Everyone else's story in Genesis 5 ends with, and he died. Why did God see fit to take Enoch into his presence through a route other than death? Why did God do that? What, what does that look like? It is clear from other places in the scripture that Enoch had some interaction with God that Genesis does not recount. Okay? The book of Jude tells us that Enoch was a prophet. I'm going to read you Jude uh, verses 14 through 16. It was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they had done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. 
So that's Jude talking about something Enoch said. So here's a quick side note. We're not going to spend a bunch of time on this. We can talk about it later if this is something that interests you. But I just want to address it with everyone in case you've been exposed to this idea and it would be maybe distracting for you, okay? This quote from Jude is found in the book of Enoch. And many have wondered why it is not included, the book of Enoch, in the 66 books of what is commonly referred to as the canon of the Bible. And I would say this is a fair question, especially considering the fact that Jude quoted it, okay? Uh, So I I want to answer that for you. This would be the quick version. Again, we can talk more about it later if you're interested. Uh, The reason Enoch, in, in the plainest terms possible, the book of Enoch is not in the canon is that it does not stand up to the rigorous requirements needed to be considered inspired and authoritative scripture. Uh, First of all, there are no ancient or modern scholars that are reputable that see any evidence this book was indeed authored by Enoch. Now, I know that the the ancient alien guys with, with, with the hair, that one guy, he may think the book of Enoch belongs in the Bible, but that's not what I mean when I say reputable scholar, okay? We gotta do a little better than that. And there's people out there, there's a lot of people on YouTube that probably think, you know, well, it says Enoch, and Enoch's name is in the Bible, so it should go in there, but we, we got to think better than that and, and a little more in depth. So if a book bears someone's name claiming them to be the author, uh, but has no evidence for and a lot of evidence against them actually being the author, it can't be trusted as true. Uh, the book of Enoch also has teachings and accounts that would be contrary to the rest of what Scripture harmoniously teaches, and that's a real another red flag. If you've got something else coming along claiming to be God's word, but it disagrees with the rest of God's word, it's like, eh, well, let's look at it again and see if maybe there's a reason for that. Well, there is. Uh, so you might be asking, well, why the quote? I hope you're thinking about this. Well, then why would Jude quote it? That's interesting. Well, let's think about this. Paul quoted ancient poets at different times in his writings, um, but that doesn't mean those poets' work is inspired scripture, just that the principle out of that uh, or the point, it, it fit with what Paul was teaching. Paul was a master missiologist. He was able to reach into the context of the culture he was ministering to and find things that lined up that people would relate to and say, hey, well, I want you to understand this gospel idea, but you know, here's, here's an idea from your culture that comes alongside and helps with that. But that doesn't mean that poet then uh, was, was canonized in the scripture or should be, okay? So if, here's what we need to know. If Jude quoted this prophecy from Enoch, then it is something Enoch did say. Okay, we found it in the book of Enoch, but you're saying it is something Enoch said. Well, how does that work? It's likely that this quotation, this prophecy from Enoch, was handed down by tradition, and then it was later included in the book of Enoch when down the road somebody put that together and put Enoch's name on it. Okay, So the point is, this quote from Enoch in Jude is genuinely his, because God allowed it to be in the Scriptures, but the rest, of his, the rest of the book that someone put his name on is clearly not, okay? And we could go into a bunch more details, but this is uh, not a lecture, and I think for some people um, that would be painful. So that's all I'm going to say about that. But like, in the same way that the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Mary were clearly written far after the time uh, that those people were alive, there's, there's not a traceable or verifiable connection um, to the book of Enoch and to Enoch himself. So that's why. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, okay, there's that. Some of you may have read the book of Enoch. Some of you may have been thinking about reading it. And uh, what what I want to say is it's totally fine to do that. It's It's fine to read it. 
just like any other interesting uh, piece of ancient literature, uh, but it should not be treated with the same level of authority as God's word. That's the important distinction. Okay? Everyone cool with that? Great. Um, if you're not, we can chat about it later. So, all right, back to Enoch. Walking with God, and so much so that he got to skip over the whole death thing, which doesn't happen often, like twice. We got him and Elijah, right? This, this is a big deal. So, there, there are some clues in the rest of the scripture to help us understand what it means that he walked with God. But I also want us to ask, why did Enoch walk with God? And, and there's an answer to that, and we have to dig for it. We're going to come back to what Jude said. Um, I'm confident, and I know that you guys, you guys like to dig for Bible treasure, so this won't be a problem. So we're going, to, we're going to get in here. We can find some of Enoch's motivation from this quotation, this prophecy in Jude that uh, Enoch gave. Okay, so what does it say again? It said, it was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So apparently, Enoch had some conversations with God. Enoch had a glimpse into some of what God was doing and who God was. And, and we can see from this that Enoch walked with God at least in part because he was aware of God's judgment. I mean, the one quote we have from Enoch is about what? It's about <laughs> the Lord coming with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all. And I realize where I am and when I am, and judgment uh, isn't, isn't a fun word that everyone likes to use and get excited about, but it's in here, and it clearly is a part of what motivated Enoch's walk with God. And so what, what do we do with that? Well, we, we must acknowledge, friends, God's righteous right to judge. And this will help us walk with him. Now, this doesn't mean that we obey God and we walk with him to avoid judgment as Christians. It means we walk with God out of gratitude that someone else already received the judgment we deserve. And his name is Jesus. That's a very important difference, right? Because you can see this. You can see that Enoch walked with God. You see that Enoch was aware of God's coming judgment. One other piece, this is, this is a little bit of conjecture because Hebrew names are hard, but there are those that say Methuselah, Enoch's son, that his name meant something to the effect of when he dies it will come, that, that somehow God revealed to him that the flood was coming. It's interesting that the flood doesn't happen until just after Methuselah dies at 969 years old, so there may be something to that. Uh, we don't know, but it's clear that Enoch had a picture of God as a righteous judge, that he was, it was within his purview as God and creator to, to be a judge. And uh, the, the truth is we, we need to acknowledge that God has that righteous right. But we don't, God's judgment doesn't motivate us to walk with him because we're trying to avoid that judgment. We know that Christ has, has absorbed the wrath of God and the judgment of God in our place. And so we uh, are able to walk with God out of gratitude and obedience as a result of the fact that we will not face judgment as the, the folks described uh, in Jude. Now, acknowledging God's justice and judgment will also help us walk with God in terms of joining him 
in what he is doing. And that's a big theme and a part of what we're talking about throughout this series. God is doing something. I know sometimes you look around at the world today, you look at the news, the difficulty, the 24-hour news cycle, you're just getting hammered every day with more cataclysmic news. I mean, there is scientific evidence showing that we are getting numbed as people to really difficult, just brutal things because we're just seeing it all the time. And it's like, man, God's working in that? And the truth is, absolutely he is. He's doing something. He's working a plan. Peter said uh, in, his epi- in his epistle that God is not slow with his judgment. He's not slow, but he's patient, willing that none should perish. Jesus has called us to preach the good news of the gospel and to make disciples because we love God who will judge and we love people who will be judged. This is what God has, God has called us to join him in what he is doing. Keeping in mind that each of us has sinned and deserve a guilty verdict, but have been declared innocent instead because of Jesus, is a beautiful and healthy motivation for seeking to walk with God. Amen. That's, and that's, that's what's tough. And I realize there are, there are always... Always, and the Bible's able to reach and, and to, to minister to everybody. That's the beauty of God by his Holy Spirit and through the power of his word. There, there are some folks that when they hear me say, it's, it's imperative we keep in mind that God is a righteous judge. And it's imperative we keep in mind that we, we deserve a guilty verdict. right? For some, there, there's, there's folks that kind of live on either end of this spectrum. On one end, you have folks that the way Satan does his best to keep them out of God's will for their life is, is by telling them all the time, like a, like a constant echo chamber, just pounding them and telling them how bad they are. You're bad. You're wicked. You're useless. Nobody could love you. No way God loves you. You're too bad. Too many mistakes. Let's think about those mistakes again. Sometimes that's, and, and, and folks like that, when they, when they hear this kind of stuff, they're, they're tempted to just go, oh man, well, here it is again. Yeah, I deserve a guilty verdict. But friend, you got to hear the other half. You got to hear the other half. Yes, you deserve a guilty verdict, but because of Christ, that's not what you've gotten. You have been called innocent. He took the guilty verdict. He stood in the way. He paid the price. We've done the crime, but he absolutely did the time. And so people on that end of the spectrum, you can think about God's judgment and it not be something that pushes you farther down into a hole of despair and self-loathing. Because what does it mean that God is a judge and he will deal justly with all sin and that Jesus stepped in so that you could get an innocent verdict instead of a guilty verdict. What does that communicate? Does it communicate that you're bad? Does it communicate that you're worthless? Does it communicate that you have no value? Dear friend, it communicates the exact opposite to an immeasurable degree because that means that God's own son shed his very blood so that you, even though you're, you're totally convinced that nobody loves you and nobody has any value, sees any value in you. Maybe that's true, but they're all wrong because God's authority on it has been spoken and echoes down through all of eternity. Jesus went to the cross for you. He paid for you. He saw value in you. He sees things in you you don't see. So dear friend, let the justice of God lead you on a thought journey to the beautiful, absolute grace of God poured out for you, which, which absolutely tells you in no uncertain terms that every lie you've believed about how bad you are, how worthless you are, how nobody loves you is absolutely not true. You are loved and you are valuable. And thinking about the fact that that God deals 
justly and righteously, and he is a righteous judge, does not have to instill a fear in you that plays into the way Satan has lied to you. On the other end of the spectrum, friends, and, and it seems like today, it seems like today, a lot of folks I encounter are more likely to be on the end of the spectrum that I just described. Very beat down, uh, believed a lot of lies about who they are and what value they have, but they're we need to acknowledge there are people also on the other end of the spectrum that when somebody says to them, hey, God loves you, they are in no way surprised because they think they're pretty awesome. They think they're pretty moral. They think they've done a pretty good job, right? We see these kind of people in the scriptures. None of us want to possibly look at the possibility of us being that person, but let's, let's just be real. It's possible. We could get, we could get very high and mighty about the bad things we haven't done or the good things we have done. Uh, We could look at cultural markers of success and say, hey, I've ticked all those boxes, doing pretty good. Somebody could say God loves you and and really in in, in a detestable and prideful way, somebody could, that wouldn't catch them by surprise. Well, I, I imagine God would love me. Maybe they wouldn't say it that way, but at least in their heart, that's what's going on. And that's, that's so, so this idea that, that, Enoch walked with God at least partially because he was aware of God's judgment, his righteous judgment. That, that can help the person that's all the way down in the hole of self-despair, but it also can help the person that's sitting on top of a high horse thinking they're the best there ever was, right? Because they need to understand God's judgment is a perfect judgment and that God's character is a perfect character and that sin has infected us all, that we've all been stained by that mark of imperfection And so none of us stands before God justified in and of ourselves. And so keeping in mind uh, the judgment of God, the guilty verdict we deserve, we need to know that, but that we've been declared innocent instead because of Jesus. This is healthy no matter where you're at on the spectrum, and it's helpful. And it's it's a beautiful motivation to seek walking with God. So what does it mean to walk with God, right? We know that Enoch did. Okay, that's great. Good for you, Enoch. And we also know that God was pleased with him. That's good. But, but what did that look like? What does it mean? That's one of those things that maybe gets put in the Christianese bucket. We might say a walk with God, but first of all, people that uh, have not been a part of God's family for a long time, they may not even know what that means. They, they may go straight to a literal interpretation of that or whatever. But I think sometimes we also, we say stuff and maybe don't think about Totally what it means. What, what does it mean that Enoch walked with God to the degree God came and said, you're coming with me. You're going to skip death. I want to think about that. Uh, not that I think God's going to do that with me, but however Enoch pleased God to that degree, I'd like to shoot for that. Right? Amen. Okay, so let's see. Hebrews 11, 5 and 6 gives us some insight into what this looks like. It says this, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. It's verse 5. Verse 6, most of you know this one, or have heard it before, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Praise God for his word. It is faith that is given in these scriptures, Hebrews, as it describes Enoch's life. It's faith that is given as the key to Enoch pleasing God. It was was Enoch's faith. We are also told here that it is impossible 
to please God without faith. Okay, that's another ear-perking statement for me. I don't know, I don't know what gets your attention, but when, when I hear it's impossible to please God without this, I want to go, okay, hold on a second, a couple things. A, what exactly is that? Do I have some misperception of it, some watered-down version of it in my mind, or do I really know what God means when he says that? That's A. B, am I walking in that thing, doing that thing, believing that thing, whatever it is, okay? So it's impossible to please God without faith. Without faith, we will not please God. If you want to please God in your life, let me hear you say amen so I know I'm not wasting my time. Okay, good. We got a few. Amen. I believe all of us want to, and if, and if we don't, hopefully we will uh, by the power of God's word and the, and the moving of his spirit among us today. So a good next question to, so how did Enoch walk with God? Okay, it was by faith. So, so what is faith? What is faith? And here's, here's a place where my friends, you, you might be tempted to think, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm more of a meat-eating Christian, you know, uh, I need meat, not milk, and if you're just going to describe what faith is, you know, that's, I, I wish we could go, you know, a little bit, little bit farther than that, or get a little more meatier than that, and I just want to say that, again, sometimes we think we know what things are, sometimes we think we've got it all figured out, but man, it is, it's at least, if there's something so key to walking with God and pleasing God, that the Bible says plainly, it's impossible to please God without faith. I want to, even if I, even if I've thought about it a whole lot, I want to circle back around every once in a while and at least just check it again. I want to look at it again. I want to humbly take a look and see: is there something else there that that I've been missing? Is there is there a way I can be even more pleasing to God than I am now? And 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 here's the thing. Here's something I hope we can acknowledge together. Faith and belief are often used as synonyms. People often think faith and belief means the same thing, but they are different. And so if your understanding of faith just thus far has been, well, it means I believe, you're part of the way there, but see, that's important for us to look at these things. If faith is required to please God, then we have to know what it is, and it's more than Belief. So what is, what is faith? All right, we're going to ask the scriptures that question and, and let the word of God answer. Okay, so the first thing we want to know is that faith is a gift. Where do I get that? I'm going to go to Ephesians uh, 2 verse 8, and we're going to uh, read verse 9 as well. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So let's, let's set that flag in the ground right now, and let's say, in, in understanding what faith is, it is a gift from God. We will not have faith if it is not by God's sovereign, merciful, beautiful hand it's given to us. Faith is a gift. And there's a reason why it's important that we know that. It's the same reason why, when Paul prayed three times for that thorn in his flesh to be removed, um, whatever that was, sickness, whether it was some kind of uh, pain or whatever, the, the reason Paul said that God didn't remove that, why his answer was, my grace is sufficient for you, was because Paul said, because of the incredible nature of the revelations I was receiving, God was helping me to not get prideful about that. That thorn in my flesh was keeping me in a place of remembering I am a mere human in need of God's strength and power and help. And that's really the same reason why here in Ephesians we, we, need, we need to go back and remember because we, we, we may be walking in faith. We may be faith-filled people, but we always have to remember that's a gift God gave us. And if we forget that, we may start to boast. And it's very important to God that we don't start boasting in our own strength or start to think that somehow um, 
the blessings that we've received is, is, is because of our own awesomeness. Uh, it's very important to God that he receives the glory. And why is that? Is it because God's an egomaniac? No. It's because God loves us. And God knows that if in our own eyes and in our own minds we become uh, more than we should be, we become very focused on our own grandeur, that that is always going to be damaging to us. The best thing for all of humanity is that God receives the most glory in every situation because we were made for God. We were made for his glory. We were made for relationship with him. And so the, the brighter, he is bright. He is glorious. He is worthy of all worship. But sometimes it doesn't look that way to us. Right, friends? Is that, is that right or wrong? Do we sometimes get distracted by this, that, or the other thing? Are we sometimes thinking that maybe, maybe my desire, my need, my whatever is more important than what God has declared is good for me? Yes, that's true. God's glorification of himself, God's great concern that we do not boast in and of ourselves is not because he's insecure and needs more affirmation. God is very secure in who he is and doesn't need any of that. But what he is is a loving father, and he knows that we, as his sometimes silly children, get distracted. And so the greater his glory, the more our eyes will be fixed upon that great light that is his glory and character and fame. And that is for our good. Faith is a gift. Grace is a gift. It's not of our works so that no one may boast. And I know most of you in here are not overt. There's cultural pressure that stops us from being very overt, braggadocious, mouthy people, right? Where we just go around telling everyone how awesome we are. I know most of you have been able to refrain from that. I said most of you. Uh, <laughs> yes, amen. But I'm talking about, you know, God's, God's not just about us dealing with what escapes our mouth or not. He cares about even what's going on in our heart. We can't be boasting in our own heart. We can't be thinking, this is because of me. Uh, I've had the faith. I've trusted God. That's why my life is good. Oh, dear friend. If your life is good, or if you've endured hardship, if you've made it this far, that the very faith that carried you through was a gift from God first. And so it all leads back to his praise. It all leads back to his worship. Amen. Uh, so faith is a gift. Faith is more than belief. Faith is more than belief. Uh, Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is conviction of things not seen. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In James chapter 2, James says, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe, and they shudder. James was kind of sassy. Do you like James? I like James. He was sassy. That, that's, him, that's him making a point there. He says, oh, you believe that God is one, oh, you do well. The demons also believe that, and they shudder. Right? I don't know if you've had this experience, but there's been many times where I've, I've tried to engage somebody uh, with the good news of Jesus Christ, and, and the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, oh, I believe in God. Now, most of the time, God doesn't let me bust out James here and say, oh, you do well. The demons as well, right? <laughs> I normally need a little more relationship with the person before I can bust out some James on them, but the, the reality is that's, that's a common misconception, is it not? See, Hebrews also told us without faith, it's impossible to please God. But we have a whole lot of people running around out here that think, oh, I believe in God. Oh, so you've, because you've intellectually acknowledged that God exists, we think we're there. And friends, that's what I'm saying. Belief and faith are different. How? What does that look like? 
Belief is part of faith, but faith is more than mere belief. James, in that same passage, he goes on to say, faith without works is dead. What does that mean? Faith is a belief so strong. It's described as a conviction in Hebrews 1. More words to try to put the strength behind what it is the Bible's talking about. Faith is so compelling and it's so powerful that if you have faith, get this, without faith it's impossible to please God, but if you have faith, it is impossible to do nothing about it. Right? Because a whole bunch of people that you might encounter say that I believe in God. Man, you start, to, you start to look for some evidence of that other than the fact that they just said that, and it's, it's, it's not there. There's a difference between belief, acknowledging something, and faith. It's impossible to do nothing if you have faith in something. Let me, let me give you this example. You can, believe that eating, you can believe that eating liver has certain health benefits, but that doesn't mean you're going to do it. Is that right or wrong? How many liver eaters in the room? Let me see your hand just so I know who to look out for, who I can't trust. Okay, good. Thank you. That's gross, man. It's like, it's meat and chalk mixed together. All right? I'll pray for you. Uh, You can believe it is possible for a plane to get you over an ocean, but if you won't get on that plane, you don't have faith that it will. You see how it's easy to be standing in the airport window and go, oh yeah, I believe that plane can get me over the ocean, but faith is required for you to step on the little breezeway thing there that takes you in and let them shut the door, right? Amen. Faith compels us to action, which is why it is evidence for what we are hoping for. See, our great hope is that we have been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've gone from death to life and darkness to light. And if we have, it is by faith. And this faith will show up in how we walk. Are you getting that? I hope you're getting it. C.S. Lewis said this. You never know how much you really believe anything until it's truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. It is easy to say you believe a rope to be strong and sound as long as you're merely using it to tie a box. But suppose you had to hang that rope, suppose you had to hang on that rope over a precipice, wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted it? Hebrews tells us it is by faith that Enoch pleased God and walked with him. Enoch believed what God said And he lived in light of it. So the question is, does the Bible help us understand with any more clarity what it looks like to walk with God? That's the question we're trying to figure out. Enoch walked with God to the degree the brother got a get-out-of-death-free card and went straight to be with God. That's a big deal. I want to know... (laughs) I want to know what that means. What does it mean to walk with God like that? Well, the Bible does have, there's other places where the Bible uses this language of walking uh, in terms of obedience to God and what that looks like. So let's, let's look at those. It won't take long. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 really just bolsters everything we just said with a, another analogy to drive home the point. It says, we, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And we need, to, we need to acknowledge the temptation every single day to walk by sight. 
And that doesn't just mean what our eyes perceive. It means how we feel, what's going on in the current situation. There are lots of different factors that try to influence us on a daily basis and, and try to control how it is we walk. But 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says that with the power of the Holy Spirit and by the knowledge of God's word, we can walk by faith and not by sight. That means sometimes I'm not going to feel like it. That means sometimes there may be all kinds of other factors screaming at me that I should not obey God in this thing. If I obey God in this thing, it's going to cost me and I'm going to lose something and, and there's greater joy on another path. But friends, we don't walk by any of that junk. We walk by faith in what God has told us and what God has proven to be true. We walk by faith and not by sight. Praise God. Another walking analogy we see that God's given us in his word is that we walk in the light. We walk in the light. 1 John uh, chapter 1 verses 5 through 7 says this, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We walk by faith. We walk in the light. So first of all, that's understanding that God walks in the light. He walks in truth. He is that very light that we walk in. A key element of what is said here is if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sin. One of the primary ways God has given us for, to, for us to walk in the light. We are to, uh, in faith, confess our sin to God, walk in the light with him, not try to hide things from him because that's silly anyways. You put, on, uh, you put on fig leaves and hide in the woods Jesus finds you, right? He always wins hide and seek. You're not getting away. So don't try that. But also, we're encouraged here to understand that there is a direct connection that cannot be pulled apart. What, what, listen to the language. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There's no, there's no extra maybe in this situation. There's a direct correlation between walking in the light with God and being in fellowship with one another. And so this is part of what God has given us as a beautiful gift, is the body of Christ and real, true, authentic friendships, uh, people that we're able to also walk in the light with them, to be able to have folks that we can be honest with when we're struggling, when we're tempted, when we're rejoicing, all of that. This, this life, this walk with God is meant to be a shared experience. It's not supposed to be a solo deal. And we see that clearly uh, in the book of 1 John and, and through the scriptures in, in a very vibrant harmony teach that principle. But uh, we need to walk in faith, friends. We have to walk in the light, both with God and with each other. Let's quit hiding. Let's quit making excuses. Uh, I know that, man, screens are so much easier than people. Is that true or not true? Man, it's a lot easier because people are tough and they have mouths and opinions, thoughts and needs, but God has called us to this, this beautiful relationship and this beautiful uh, reality where we're walking in the light and that means we're walking with one another. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That is pleasing to God. Because it does cost you something. It, that does show that there's faith and not just belief here. Because you could, if you, if you well, I just believe God exists, man, you're definitely not going to pay the price to live in authentic community. You're definitely not going to mourn when others mourn, rejoice when they rejoice. You're definitely not going to do what it takes to practice hospitality, to accept invitations when people invite you, and to then invite others <laughs> uh, to be in your space. Man, it takes faith for that. 
That's, that's, that's a walk by faith type deal right there. Uh, but it's good for us. And it leads to more joy than if we ignore it. And you may not have experienced that yet, but I'm going to ask you to walk by faith, even if your experience has taught you otherwise. Because some of you, you've opened up your heart and you've tried to walk with other people. Sometimes you've, you've been betrayed when that's happened. Dear friend, I, I, I promise you, I know what that means. I promise you, I know the feel of betrayal, but it doesn't matter that much that I get it. What I can really promise you is that the Lord Jesus gets it. You want to talk about being betrayed? The most cosmic betrayal of all time is when the very creation that he made uh, spat upon him, beat him into a bloody mess, hung him on a cross, and then jeered at him and told him if, if he was who he said he was to come on down. Uh, that's betrayal, because he'd only ever done good to them, and, and that's what he got in return. And so uh, Jesus knows, friend, what betrayal feels like. And so it, it's not like somebody that doesn't get it is asking you to do something, right? Isn't that, that's frustrating. We don't like that. We don't like when, you know... Somebody that's clearly never gone to the gym says, hey, you know what? You should exercise and go to the gym. Automatically, the head starts snapping. You know what I mean? Oh, really? Right? Or whatever. Somebody, whatever the deal is. We don't like people that haven't been through it trying to tell us to go through it. Jesus has been through it in a far greater degree than we ever could understand. And, so, and he's still asking you to walk with him and to walk with others, to be intentional about it, do it by faith. The last thing is, the last kind of walking with God thing I'm going to give you here in the, in the scriptures. It says, um, we walk in agreement with God. Uh, so we walk by faith, we walk in the light, and we walk in agreement with God. Amos 3 says this, can two walk together unless they agree? Uh, and part of what that's talking about is just, you know, if you're not in unity on which direction we're going, then we're not going to be walking together, right? Maybe for a little bit, but then it's going to be separate. You got to be able to agree uh, to walk with God, we must be on the lookout for places where we don't agree with him. And some of these we may not be aware of. This, this, is, this is really a, a vibrant reason why we need the word of God. We need to have the word of God written upon the tablet of our hearts because each and every one of us has hidden within our hearts and minds places where we actually disagree with God. Places where what he would say is right and true, uh, would, would not totally line up with what we would think is right and true. And, and you may be thinking right now, well, I don't know if I do. Maybe, I, I don't know if he's right. But really, friends, every time we choose to disobey God instead of obey him, we are exemplifying the fact that we don't agree with him, right? Because if we did agree with him and thought that what he was asking us to do or not do was for our best, then we typically wouldn't do that. So how, how do we do that? Well, if, if God's word is written upon the tablet of our heart, if we are constantly feasting upon the word of God, uh, and, and what we're able to do then is, is take every thought captive. Second Corinthians 10 talks about this idea that, you know, we're thinking thoughts all throughout the day. Some of us, we're in the millions, you know, some of us, maybe it's two grand, right? Some brains run at different speeds, but it, that doesn't really matter. We got thoughts filtering through this thing. And, and the Bible says that there's, there's a need for us to be checking those thoughts. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we just let the computer run, right? And it's just doing its thing all the time in the background. We're not really paying attention. What we have to do is we have to think about what, what am I thinking about? <laughs> what is going on in this mind of mine? What am I allowing and entertaining? What am I imagining? Uh, what, what thoughts am I giving place to? Because 
We do have some, or maybe they're not even in us, but that's part of how the enemy comes is he tries to sow seeds of false thoughts and things that would disagree with what God has said. We have to agree with him to walk with him. And so when a thought comes contrary to God's word, whether it's from an external spiritual attack or it's just something we believe for a long time that we need God's help with, we need to take those things captive, cast them to the ground, ask for God's help to believe what he believes. I mean, it's a basic premise, man. This would be a good prayer for you. I don't know if you've ever prayed this. I haven't prayed it enough. God, I want to agree with you. That's a good prayer, man. God, help me agree with you. Because sometimes I don't. And and a lot of times my actions show it. (laughs) Amen. I'll amen myself on that one. I knew you weren't going to. (laughs) Yeah. So we, we uh, we walk by faith. We walk in the light. We walk in agreement with God. We need to agree with him. Uh, There's another feature of this text in Genesis 5 that can help us walk with God. It's the last thing I'll give you. This entire chapter, it beats a drum whose rhythm we should learn to walk to. You hear it over and over again. Eight times in this chapter you hear this phrase, and he died. And he died. And here's the deal. Most of us don't like to think about death. It's an inconvenient topic. For many people, there's fear surrounding it. But over and over again in this chapter, I, I read some theologians that said there's, there's accounts of uh, pastors or missionaries reading this chapter and people coming to Christ simply from that, and he died. And he died. Because however, however they did it, they had come to that place and, and they just weren't thinking about eternity. They weren't thinking about the fact that this life comes to an end. And that brought them, it brought them to this place of considering that simple fact, that we're all going to die. The Bible says we need to make the most of our time because the days are evil, friends. The Bible teaches us that our, our days are numbered. This, you can break it down into minutes or hours or whatever helps you, but you've only got so many of all of that. And let me, let me read you what 2 Samuel 14, 14 says. It says, For we will surely die. And are like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away life, but plans ways so that the banished one will not be cast out from him. There's two ways. You might not like this. I think you should think about death every day. Oh, that sounds like a bummer. Let me give you some reasons. Two reasons. I think understanding and, and letting our mind go to the fact that our time here is, is limited, it can, it can work as a motivator and it can give us hope. The first is, is motivation. What do I mean? Dear friends, in, in studying for this, I, I, I came here and I, was, I walked in the back and was doing some of the things I do. And, and I walked out and I saw some people and I was tempted to be... I was, I was in a little bit of a rush and there was like four more things I still needed to get done. Just, just things that needed to happen. And uh, there, was, there was some people between me and the things that need to be done. And the temptation is to, you know, head down, i got to do the things. And this thought, since I've been studying this and thinking about this week and, and dealing with myself about the thought of my own mortality, this, this thought crossed my mind. What if this was the last chance I get to talk to that person? What if this is the last chance I get to gather with God's people like this? Because that's totally possible. And, and you know how that helped me? I stopped and, and just chatted with the people and laughed with them and whatever. And, and if the stuff didn't get done, you know, hallelujah. It, it'll work out somehow. Because the people are more important, man. 
People are more important. I, I, I seriously wish you wouldn't leave your house. I wish you wouldn't leave your, especially you dads, don't leave your house without thinking about this might be the last time I see my family. And you don't have to get morbid and sad about it. And I'll get to that in a minute. But, but think about the way you leave. Think about how you say what you say to your children, if you say anything to them. Think about whether or not you grab your wife and hug her for a minute and, and lay a kiss on her if you didn't frustrate her that day, you know, and, and it's cool right now, right? <laughs> Thinking in terms of this idea that <laughs> we all will die. Mortality is a real thing. Our days are numbered. It, it's healthy and it doesn't have to be, it's, it's not morbid. It's, it's actually really helpful. I want to start going into experiences and going into conversations and, and, and thinking each day, waking up each day, thinking, how am I going to spend this one if this was my last one? I know that's cliche. I know that is so cliche. Live every day like it's your last. There's a, I guarantee there's a bumper sticker and a t-shirt that's probably tie-dyed. I know. I know it's a cliche, but cliches are cliches for a reason, friend. And the Bible encourages us here to think this way. And to, to push beyond the cliche and think, why? Why is that healthy for me? It's good for us. The Bible talks about idle words. That Jesus never spoke a word that he didn't hear the Father tell him to speak, which to me, it's just, it's amazing. What, what would we do different with our words, right? If, if we thought this might be the last chance I get to say words to this person. It's a big deal. So death should help to motivate us uh, in, in our walk with God. But death is also a great hope. And I'm just going to, I'll say this quickly. How is death a hope? Uh, <laughs> um, I read, it's very funny. God told me early on, I think I was 12 years old. He, uh, he told me that I was going to minister in, in, in other countries. I, so basically, <clears throat> what I thought God was going to have me do uh, was go push wheelbarrows and build like hospitals and churches in Guatemala or whatever, and because that was all I thought God would do with me at that age. And somebody, God sent several different men that didn't know me from any anybody, and, and just spoke prophetic words over my life. And one of them was, not only will you build churches in other countries, but you'll also preach in them. And uh, that totally freaked me out. But you know, since has come to pass by God's grace, I still don't understand why He uses me. I'd be a lot better on a wheelbarrow probably, but I digress. So. But when, I, when that was happening, I started to tell my family excitedly, hey, I think God's got this plan for me. I'm going to do missions work in other countries, and I'm excited about that. And a certain member of my family was, you know, just this was their lens. They were just worried about me going and doing that in other places that might be dangerous or whatever. And so what they thought they would do is they would buy me this book. It was called Jesus Freaks by DC Talk. And uh, I know some of you rocked a little too hard to Jesus Freaks by DC Talk uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s. So <laughs> you're my people. You're my people. Um, but they, they had this book put together, and it was very much in the fashion of like Fox's Book of Martyrs, if you're uh, familiar with that. Another book I think every one of you should read. But basically it was just stories of different martyrs, and there's, there's, I, there's a handful, a dozen probably, that I, I can't get out of my mind, and I don't want to. But there's one in particular in talking about death as hope. Uh, there, was this, there was this one pastor that basically... Uh, persecutors came and said, you can recant or we can burn you at the stake. That's where we're at. And uh, his answer was, let's, let's head to the stake. And so this guy was singing hymns the whole way there. And there's this, there's this image, this, this is documented. This guy, he comes up to this stake. <clears throat> and before they tie him to it, he, he literally kisses it. 
He kisses the stake that they're about to tie him to. And then they tie him to the thing, and it's heard through the crackling of the, of the flames that he's praying for those that just did that to him and, and singing songs until he takes his last breath. And, uh, I, I, you know, there's a lot of different ways I can try to convince you that, that thinking about death in a hopeful way um, is the right way to think, but I hope you understand what I'm saying from that right there. Death is the final victory for those that know what is waiting. That eternity with God is the beautiful gift of grace given to us by faith. We don't have to fear death. And so we can think about it in a duality every day. I don't want to waste the time I do have. I want to treat this like it's my last chance every day. But if that is the last day, praise be to God. I kiss the stake, man. Hallelujah. That's how you don't be bummed about it, right? Because before you guys were thinking, this guy wants me to think about death every day. What a weirdo, right? Because our cultures, they're terrified of death. People are terrified of death. Well, yeah, it's terrifying. If you don't have the hope of Christ, if you don't have the hope of eternity with a God who loves you as much as these scriptures show us God loves us. And so for us, death is a hope-filled thing. We have to live in that tension. I hope this tension exists for you. If it doesn't, then ask God to help you. Paul said to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? Paul said, I want so much to be with Jesus, but I know because I woke up today with breath in my lungs, he has something for me to do here, and so I'm going to do that, but just, just let the record show. When he's done, I'm, I'm ready. I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy <laughs> about that day coming. And Friends, that may, seem we- that may seem weird to you. That may see ext- seem extreme. I don't know how it seems to you, but I'm just telling you right now, that's right, and that's beautiful, and that's what faith looks like. May we be a people who seek by faith to walk with God. May we know that walking with him means seeking to walk with others. And may we have above all all of our concerns and priorities a desire to be pleasing to the one who has loved us and treated us as his treasure. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much for these verses. Thank you for telling us what you did tell us about Enoch. Uh, Lord, as is often the case, it may not be as much information as we would like to know, but God, we trust that what you've told us is what we need, that it's enough for us to respond in a faithful way. Thank you, Lord, uh, for letting us know that Enoch walked with you, that he pleased you, and that you took him, that he skipped death. God, We're not looking for that, but we do want to please you. We do want to follow in Enoch's footsteps. We know we can only do that by the help of your Holy Spirit. Lord, for some of us, maybe this just helps us set the bar. Because honestly, Lord, for some of us, we can just just settle into a rut of, yeah, I believe in God, and and somebody told me that that's what it takes. And and, and Lord, the rest of our life, it just doesn't reflect any true faith. that, That happens, Lord. We get distracted, and we're really, we just want to tell you we're sorry for that. And we're asking, Lord, for you to stir this this hunger in us and a thirst in us that, Lord, we don't want to be able to be satisfied by lesser things. And sometimes that's our problem, Lord. We, we We can hit neutral and be okay with less than what you really have for us. And what you want is to walk with us. God, what a beautiful thing. 
Lord, how did it happen that sometimes we are not totally overcome with gratitude at the thought that you want to walk with us? You want to be near us. You want to include us in what you're doing. Lord, that is some of the best news I could possibly hear, and, and I want to do that. Help us, Lord Jesus, as a church to do that, to walk with you, to desire to walk with you. Lord, as we do that, I ask that you would show us the beauty of walking with you, giving us the chance to walk with one another. Because if, if we're all walking with you and you're going in one direction, well then, <laughs> look at that. We're all together. God, may we, may we be encouraged by that. May we be thankful for the fact that a lot of people that would have never walked together for any reason because of their background or because of uh, where, where their life would have taken them, Lord, but because of you, you've brought us together. You've caused us to walk together, to have a singular purpose that purpose being your glory, the fulfilling of your will in the earth. We want what you want, Lord. Help that to be more true each day. We thank you for these verses. We ask you to help us to be doers and not hearers only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.